with a vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today we're talking about overcoming the fear of failure as a counselor. Mm, it's a big fear to get over because failure as a counseling happens often. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard because becoming a counselor means having an advanced degree. So you're kind of an overachiever. Um, and then I think that it's natural to not want to feel like you're failing at something. Right. And we deal with emotions, people dynamics every single day, all day long. So it would be natural to have some missteps along the Mm -hmm. way. So when we're working as supervisors, I think that I often get the question, what do I do? They're looking for a map or an intervention, looking for a specific, this happened in session, what should I have done differently, or what can I do? Because next week, this mom is going to ask me this question. They would love a list of techniques, not, I guess, dissimilar from a client who would love a list of positive coping skills. Right. And if we could give that, things would be really different, but we can't give a list of coping skills or, for that matter, a list of techniques that would be a 100% sure thing for a a counselor to use in a session. And I think it's tricky because in one of my counseling classes, we had, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like an intervention class where you learned all different things. Each week you had to bring something different you would do with a client. And so I have this notebook that used to sit around my office. It gave different techniques and they're kind of classified like, here's for the ADD kid, here's for depression, which is great if you need a jumping off point, but no client is the same as the next client, even if the diagnosis is the same. So Heather, when you were in that class, did you find it useful? I think as a very new, fresh counselor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. Then not as new, not as fresh counselor. Did you refer back to it? Did you use it as a tool? Only when I needed something to copy. Like uh, if I was looking for like a certain kind of like CBT worksheet kind of thing. Mm. Um, But I didn't like what was in my book. So I started creating some of my own that looked fresher. So maybe the intent of that class or the intent of creating that book was not so that you would always use it as a reference, but that you might create your own, right. get creative. I think it was to spur that creativity because once you're out there in the real world and not tied to your uh, counseling professors for feedback, or even once you're out of supervision, um, you don't have that instantly to go back to. You start learning some more of the nuances. There's lots of different interventions that I use with kids that once you get used to using them, they're just in my brain. Then we're Mm going to do an intervention differently. Sure. I say this to supervisees. I think that if I give you a technique and you try to implement it in the exact same way that I would implement it, it's like paint by number. And it won't ever be as dynamic or as impactful as a technique that maybe they've created on their own or adapted for their own use. Yeah, I like that analogy. It's been a handful of years now that I worked in a hospital and I was kind of like the creative, artsy 
counselor. Mm -hmm. And some people would come to my office and say, can I borrow that thing? Or can I borrow this? Or can I use that? I kind of reluctantly would let them, partly because I wanted to make sure I was getting all my stuff back. I was going to say, now do all of your things have your name on the bottom? Uh, They do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I felt also like people would borrow my things and come back to me and say, oh, it didn't work that great. Or it wasn't as good as when you did it. Right. Because they were trying to just copy the way that I had used it and it would fall flat. It didn't have their own personality interjected into it. Right. And often they don't meet the needs of the client. Yeah. that They maybe didn't stop first to think about the client first and then what to do second. I think also having been involved in lots of different conference committees that help to determine what presentations are involved in different conferences or workshops. I think it's a struggle. Try to find the balance between how many presentations focus just on techniques and how many presentations focus on things like theory, being reflective, the process. And so there is this big request for presentations on techniques. But like we're saying, just knowing a lot of different techniques doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to meet each client where they are at and provide an an opportunity for a great experience. Right. I often coach my supervisees to not plan their sessions. When you start planning what you think you're going to do week by week is when you'll miss something that comes in of great importance. So uh, having a client in the room that you've sat down and you're like, this is what we're going to do. You're leading instead of allowing the opportunity for the client to share something from the week Mm -hmm. or reflect back to what they really need. Right. Well, and Heather, you're not saying don't have any plan. Right. You're saying be flexible enough that you put your plan aside or that you adapt your plan. How do you do that? Do you start out with some amount of planning? I think it's important to have an idea of what you're going to plan, but you're not planning 50 minutes. Your idea Mm -hmm. is next week, I want to follow up and touch base with this comment that the client said the week before. Mm -hmm. You're not looking to dominate the whole time. I think for me, I've had to really adjust and adapt recently using telehealth, being a play therapist. Mm -hmm. And one way that I've done that is that I do some planning, but also account for when we log on, the client might be, I I don't know what their stress level could be, where their emotions are at, where their tolerance for a session is at, and I need to be able to adjust to that. So one thing that I've done is that I have with me, and I'm still, even though I'm seeing clients virtually, I'm still in my office so that I still have available to me all of my tools and supplies so that I can be flexible and think, well, I'm going to pull this right now because it seems like it would be helpful. There's some amount of planning, but also I guess I'm planning to be flexible. Right. You have to be prepared with whatever comes your way. Right. Uh, So Heather, something else you and I thought about was that supervisee might often think, I can't mess this up. Right. We really supervisees to know when you're implementing a plan or when you're trying to help somebody that you're doing the best you can. And yes, there's the notion of you don't want to mess up. You don't want to have something uh, horrible go wrong on your watch. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how much planning you do, there's always going to be a curveball, always going to be something that pops up that you were not prepared for. Something that guides me when I maybe start to feel that way, or I'm working with a supervisee who's really feeling the immense pressure of being a counselor, that that the task is really large and feels scary, is that I go back to the idea that if I have pure intentions and want to help the person, then even if I do make a mistake, because we will all make mistakes, it won't be something that's unfixable. I feel like, tell me if you think this is true, Heather, I feel like students right at the end of their master's program start to feel like 
like, wow, this is a huge responsibility. Why did anyone let me do this? Like, like, what did I get myself into? I just thought I was good at talking with people. Right. Who thought that this was a good idea to just let me have clients and you guys are just, you're about to let me leave school and then... And here we go. Yeah. Um, That it can feel really scary. And I think there's so many things that we stress that you're always supposed to be tracking and watching in a session. You're, look for this. Did you notice this? Was the client disheveled? Did they look, you know, well-groomed? Did they seem comfortable or did they seem anxious? We're asking them to track a thousand things. Mm -hmm. I think it's best to go in with a, there is nothing you can do to prepare for the unexpected. You can just know that you know your stuff. You're there to help. You're there to listen. But it can be very overwhelming. And I think that's actually one of the things that will trip you up. I mean, we you and I have said that to each other even in earlier episodes of the podcast that what we're asking supervisees to do, students to do, is really a lot of different complicated tasks all at once. And that there's a point where they're learning all of those tasks. So they're not even things that they are comfortable with or feel like they have mastered yet. Uh, so it's really hard. I think too, Heather, when I'm working with a supervisee, I think that I feel like this happens about one year out of school that they hit that another moment where they feel like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Right. Who even let me be a counselor? No one should let me (laughs) alone with clients. I don't know what I'm doing. I can remember uh, when I was a supervisee, the first time in session, I had a client tell me that they were cutting Mm -hmm. and I was completely shocked, completely had missed it. They'd been cutting for months and still seeing me. I just felt like, how did I miss it? What did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. Why are they cutting if they're in therapy? Shouldn't that make them stop? I had Mm -hmm. all these ideas going on in my head at the same time just this like well I must be really crappy if that's going on and I'm supposed to be their counselor. Um, I actually feel really encouraged when I have an intern or a student supervisee that expresses that to me. It makes me feel confident that they are careful and aware of what they're doing and that they're looking for feedback and that they know there's no way they could have mastered all of this by now and they want to continue to learn. Right. I feel encouraged by that. Yes that is speaks volumes for our profession but it all speaks volumes for that relationship. Uh, Some of my learning experiences that I found most helpful and really helped me to shape my idea of supervision, either as the supervisee or the supervisor, were times in work situations where it was clearly communicated to me, this is not your job yet. (laughs) You don't have to do all these things yet. I worked at a hospital and the medical director told me, you're not going to do anything for a while. I want you to watch. I want you to be a part and witness all of the things that we do day to day, but do not give Sarah any families or clients yet. Wow. That was kind of a nice gift. At the time, I really didn't appreciate it as much as I (laughs) probably should have, but it really was a nice gift that she gave me the time to settle in, feel like I understood, get a feel for the culture of the agency before I started taking on responsibility. So I did really appreciate it. Heather, have you ever had a student or a supervisee that has a really hard time taking feedback because they're so focused on convincing themselves and you that they know the right answer? Yes, I think that happens pretty often, actually, especially if they can't see why things aren't going well for themselves, why they keep stepping Mm. in the same problem over and over again. I could actually share experience from one of my supervisors was one day he looked at me and he said, what would happen if you didn't? Oh, I like that. And so I used it Mm -hmm. lots now Mm. in supervision. So I wonder, Heather, if you were the supervisee or student that was saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. 
you're yeah. like, yeah, it's fine. It's great. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just ask that question of what would happen if you didn't? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is one of those, we get in this, like, I have this plan. I have this idea. This is how I'm going to do it. Well, what would happen if you didn't? Mm-hmm. What would happen if you just sat and reflected back and just used reflective listening? Or if you think you know the answer, what if this scenario doesn't call for that one answer? Right. So if you can't use your one thing that you would do, what would be then an alternative? What? Yeah. Right. I really like what you said. I'm going to use that. I, something that I often say is let's just brainstorm. Let's come up with as many creative options as we can because all of them are good and useful. Right. Well, thinking about that feeling of being wrong or not knowing, you and I also talked about the idea that some supervisees or students have that they cannot be vulnerable, which also means they're not open to taking risks or trying new things. Which means there's not going to be any growth and they're going to be stagnant. So it's almost like a a really bad circular problem to have. You get stuck in the same pattern. I can think of some times where I had to really push myself to be vulnerable and it made a very important difference for the client and the therapeutic relationship. I had a client, I saw her individually. In this situation, I was seeing her in a group and I really liked this client. She was so endearing. She was such a sweet teenager and she came in and, and came into group maybe a minute later than everyone else and sat down and said something. And I don't even remember what she said, but I said, you are so silly. To me, I was saying she was cute. Right. That's so sweet. Right. Something she said just was sweet and endearing and cute. And as soon as it left my mouth, I knew that what she heard was something different. She turned bright red. Okay. She looked really angry. She sat down, just began to crumble. Mm -hmm. And I was going, what's going on? I, I don't know what happened. And was asking her and she didn't want to tell me. Finally, she did tell me. And what she said was that she was really angry at me. Okay. I thought the rest of the group was really uncomfortable and I could have redirected that and said, let's talk about it later or why don't you and I step out and address this? Uh, But I thought this is an opportunity. I want the rest of the group to see that she can be mad at me and I'm not going to get upset, that I can handle this, that she and I can have this conversation and we're still going to be okay. Wonderful. And she told me that silly is what her one of her parents called her when they were telling her basically she was dumb. Oh, wow. I mean, she got really upset with me and really let me have it before she made her point that this is something that was said to her in a hurtful way. And I said, I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant. Right. And I will be careful not to use that word. Well, and what a great opportunity for that to be modeled mm-hmm. in the group situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was really powerful to let the client do it, too that she got to express that in a place that was safe. She didn't get in trouble for being angry at a grown-up. Right. She got to talk about what it felt like when she was called silly. It made a big difference. Wow. I remember thinking, no, I'm leaning into this. I can do this. This is. I don't know where this is going yet, but it's going to be okay. Uh, So I had to let myself be vulnerable. So I think when a supervisee or student doesn't allow themselves to be vulnerable, they end up missing out on a lot of opportunities. Yes, absolutely. So all those ways, it made a stronger connection between the client and I, the other clients in the group and the client that I was talking to, the other clients in the group and myself. I think there's the opportunity for that to happen within a supervision session. Absolutely. If you're able to reflect and share your own missteps, well, your supervisees or interns are going to, for one, appreciate it Mm -hmm. because you're willing to share, well, this happened and it's okay because sometimes we step the wrong direction. But then I think it also reflects back to saying sometimes that's not the right protocol. We can't have a procedure 
that we do for each individual session because of this. Mm -hmm. And if we give our supervisees that opportunity to see it, when they do it themselves, they can be more forgiving. I think I'm also trying to make myself vulnerable and allow my supervisees to be vulnerable within a supervision session, maybe asking them and really wanting to know how they're doing with stresses outside of work, as well as stresses within work, and maybe Mm -hmm. even stresses within work that aren't directly happening in a session. Right. I think that's something that new counselors really have to get used to managing uh, the relationships within a counseling agency or just within a work setting. Right. So Heather, after allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, not always asking what technique or what do I do and allowing ourselves to take some chances and maybe mess up, but maybe also have some great successes. What are some ways that you are supporting a supervisee to become creative around the ways that they recover from missteps? Maybe let's not call them mistakes, but missteps. I think the first thing is acknowledging it. You have to be willing to acknowledge what went wrong and owning that. We talked about the supervisee that just is trying to be like, nope, I've got it. I've got it. It's all fine. We have to be able to acknowledge, okay, what went wrong first and then look like, okay, well, this happened. Why did it happen? And what can we do to prevent it from happening again? And what can we gain from that happening? Mm -hmm. So we're kind of breaking it down into, into smaller segments to see that like this big, horrible thing you think happened because you said the wrong thing to a client isn't actually in the grand scheme of the whole time of therapy going to matter. Heather, that makes me think of of all the treatment teams that I have been a part of. My favorite treatment team dynamic was working with a group and something that we did at the end of every discharge. We would have worked with someone for quite a while and when they discharged, we would look back and reflect on the work that we did with that person and we would ask everyone in the group to think of something that they could say about that client and our time with them that felt like a real home run that we we did an amazing job of whatever it was we did an amazing job of contacting their outpatient providers we did an amazing job of working with a tough family dynamic whatever it was Mm -hmm. and that we then all got to appreciate the work that all of us did together right and we would also name only one i wouldn't let us get too carried away with it we would also name one thing that we learned from the situation and that we were going to take with us right and especially in treatment teams like that after a couple of times of seeing the same pattern, change some protocols. Right. And realize that like th- some things needed to shift and change to, to make the most sense for our client base. Right. Yeah. So that something to learn from could be a small thing. It could be maybe a more interpersonal situation, right. or it could be a system that you adapt and change to it and adjust to. Yeah. Right. So I like that because I liked when we did that as a group, because we got to reflect on something that we felt confident about, we felt proud of. And also we talked about something that we could take away and learn from. Um, I think part of that treatment team, but sometimes it happens one-on-one or in smaller situations or settings, maybe even just one-on-one supervision, listening to other people and taking feedback well. Right. You do it all day long with clients and then you go into supervision and you're trying to tell your supervisor about something and you might really just need to talk about all the other stuff that goes into it, all Mm -hmm. the emotionality, how you were feeling with your nine o'clock client that morning and it's 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of sandwiching your feedback. (laughs) Uh And I realize I even do that with myself internally that I might, I'm not saying it out loud and it's not for anybody else's benefit, but that I will start with something positive and sandwich the constructive feedback in the middle and then give another positive. So I might say, um, I did a great job of working with a tough family dynamic. Next time around, I'm going to make sure that I get the court documents for custody up front. That will make things a lot easier for me in the long run. Um, But it really was a tough family 
family dynamic and I did a pretty good job of working with what was presented to me. Perfect. I mean, for ourselves, for mm-hmm. supervisees, for even a treatment team or a larger group, I think it's helpful and feels productive. You're gaining something from that kind of interaction. So it's an important part of this process of knowing that we won't always have the answer. We will sometimes make missteps. We To be able to acknowledge that and learn from that, we need to be vulnerable and that we can always have a positive way of recovering from those missteps when they do happen. Thank you today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. If you're interested in thinking more about bouncing back from failure, look at March 2020 Counseling Today's article, Bouncing Back from Failure as a Counselor. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.